to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. We are online at what-s-left.webnode.com. You can find the link to our blog in the episode notes. Please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, uh, share your favorite episode. Um, my name is Andy Lipson. I'm a teacher in Oakland and socialist. Um, and we are again joined by regular uh, uh, guest or re- regular member, uh, Kenny Zapeta, socialist and community organizer. And again, Jessica, uh, English literature and writing and environmental humanities teacher at a university level in Pacific Northwest. And John Kleisick, uh, author of School Board Order, The Technocratic Globalization of Corporatized Education, and a frequent contributor to Unlimited Hangout and author of a very recent article, which probably will come up today uh, and was posted in Unlimited Hangout, How Education how Education International is Pushing Teachers Union into the Fourth Industrial Revolution. So welcome, everyone. Always good to be here. Thank you very much, sir. As the title of Jake's recent article suggests, um, we, uh, we still plan on doing part two of some of the art stuff that we were getting into as it relates to uh, transhumanism and transgender and identity, queer identity and things like that, um, or queer theory. Um, but today we really wanted to kind of come back to some of the discussions that have been going on around education and the so-called spread of the Omicron variant. Um, my school today, I actually am working at a new school, which didn't go remote before, but actually went in here in Oakland, went remote this week. Um, so uh, in, in relationship to orders that came up from on high, from what I've told, uh, that uh, you should not be doing school this week. Um, and I know in the Bay Area, there's been a lot of pressure on uh, from members um, and from the union itself um, talking about how it is not safe uh, to go back into the schools. And teachers and teachers unions, at least in the Bay Area, are seeming seemingly poised to push for not going back to school and trying to go remote. Um, and um, I'm just going to say, I'm very disturbed by this. Uh, it's very bothersome. Um, there's more to say about it, but I figured first maybe go around the horn and see what people know about other area, other instances of this kind of stuff going on. And Jessica, maybe I'll go with you next. Sure. I too find it bothersome. <laughs> I think that's a very polite word. Um, yeah. So I guess I'll say a few words about my former institution and then I'll say a few words about my current institution. So um, they are doing something similar at um, University of Washington. Uh, They basically announced, I'm not sure how many days before winter quarter, winter term was supposed to start. Like it was literally a matter of days, I believe that they were going to go online for one week. I guess the alleged reasoning there is that it would give people time to get tested and or to get the booster between, you know, the holiday festivities, students going home, traveling and the start of classes. Um, I believe they are now going to be in person starting next week. uh, Allegedly, I know there's a lot of schools that have been doing something similar. I know Seattle University, they are online for all of January. Um, I know a lot of the Ivy League schools are 
temporarily uh, remote. So this seems to be a trend. I think it's really, I mean, on the one hand, people are saying like, oh, it's just, you know, it's just a week, just one more week, right? But I, I think, especially from, you know, being being a teacher, like from a teacher perspective, what even just that like five days, what that means is that every single teacher at these institutions is going to have to build their week one lesson plans, their modules, their syllabus, you know, all of that like groundwork for the class has to be online, which means that the foot's already in the door. Like online will be like whether or not UW or Seattle U or wherever, like whether or not they end up actually going back to in person, you know, online's like the baseline now. <laughs> Remote is 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 the baseline. Um and kind of like you mentioned, Annie, I'm seeing so many colleagues and teachers, not just at, at like my former institution, but all around the country, just like begging to go back remote. And I just, I can't believe we're back here. I mean, I can, I'm not surprised at all, but I, I just, it just, it's amazing to me for a, for a variant that is, you know, even by the most mainstream uh, establishment scientists, the most mild version <laughs> so far. Uh, I also should mention, so University of Washington, after they basically kicked out or forced out uh, the majority of unvaccinated people, both employees and students, I believe they're now at like a 98 or it might even be 99% vaccination rate uh, across the entire institution. This is like a massive, massive public university. So I, I mean, I don't know, like, I guess you could get to a hundred, but I'm not really sure like how much higher, you know, of a, of a standard they could have in terms of so-called protection. So yeah, that's what's going on in Washington where I am, which, uh, as, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, I'm now at a much more rural, smaller university and we are in person so far. Uh, I mean, we're in week one. Um, so I, I, I think we'll probably Stay in person is my expectation and definitely my hope. This is actually the first time I'm I've been fully like 100% of my classes from the start of the term are completely in person uh, since beginning of 2020. So that's uh, really exciting, despite everything that's going going on. Um, we do have so they're testing unvaccinated students as a precondition for coming back to in-person classes. They're not testing vaccinated, which I've heard, um, I've heard people like faculty and staff kind of complaining on more than one occasion that they think they should be doing more like robust testing Mm -hmm. um, just of of everybody because so many, so many vaccinated people are testing positive recently. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's very, it's very disturbing to me. Like I received a list of students in my classes who were not cleared for in-person learning at the beginning of the week because they were still waiting for their COVID tests to come back. So, I mean, even just from a privacy standpoint, you might as well send me a list of students and that says like, here are your unvaccinated students. Um, So that was very disturbing to me in terms of like, data protection and who's getting to see this information, private medical decisions. I've had students emailing me like, 
my test was positive or my test was negative, you know, I, which is just, it's none of my business. And I've had students miss class um, during, you know, the beginning of the class is extremely important to, to be there to kind of discuss the foundation for the term. And yeah, I have students who are just, they're waiting on their test because it had to be taken like, I think 48 hours or something, 72 hours maybe, um, which was ridiculous. On top of that, we had a huge snowstorm. Uh, we actually had a snow day on day one of the term. So, um, you know, a lot of the testing was delayed. It's just a nightmare. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what's going on for me. I also, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. So I, ever since I started this new job, I have to attest daily to both my vaccination status and like if I have symptoms or not, which I think those attestations are, are, you know, they've, they've become pretty common. I don't know. Um, I don't know how many institutions are making people do them daily, but it's, yeah, it's, it, it's crazy to me. Like I have to click a button every single day to let them know, yes, I am still unvaccinated. <laughs> like, I have not changed my mind. Um, so yeah, well, I'll leave it there. Can I ask Jessica a question real quick? Uh, just mm-hmm. about, uh, so when you got the list of the, um, of the people who were not cleared, the students who were not cleared, was that, through email or did that I remember you telling us a story one time where some of that information came through one of the 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 LMSs like the clever or the Newton or or one of those uh navigate navigate yeah uh no that was a different situation where it was uh like because of someone's vaccination status they were placed on a on a hold like a registration hold and so it showed up in the system, which was, yeah, it was another example of privacy violations, in my opinion, not in my opinion, <laughs> just objectively. Um, but yeah, no, this, so this list came through student affairs, I think, through email. I don't know what they're using to track stuff in terms of if it's like March sheets or whatever, but, but yeah, it was through email. Yeah, I was just curious because uh, when we talk, I imagine we're going to get into talk about testing today in, in some detail. And um, I was just curious as to how how that played out, because we'll probably touch on the, how some of these testing kind of companies also traffic in the, the genomic sequencing and, and some of the correlations that you can make between the, the dashboard and the testing, you know, given how they might process the, the testing samples. So uh, so for Chicago, uh, I mean, so for my own institutions, again, I, you know, I, I think I've said this a few times on the show, but, uh, you know, I, I knew the mandates were coming, so I dodged going back in person because I didn't want to have to either give the jab, and I, and I don't want to get tested. I don't, you know, I don't, uh, they don't need my, my bio data uh, for any purposes. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, I don't know exactly what they're doing differently. I, I, I did hear at one of the schools, uh, but see, we're, we don't go back yet. We don't actually, the semesters where I, uh, don't start at either of the two community colleges where I teach. They don't start until uh, 17th or the 19th. I think it's the 19th or the 17th. Um, and at one of the schools, there was just an email from, the dean that the, the staff who should be there now, like, you know, uh, registration and human resources, those type of people that, that they are remote right now. Uh, and uh, so 
so I mean, I guess if they extend this period, then I'm, I'm assuming everybody's going to be where I'm at, which is online. That's another reason too why I didn't want to go back in person prior because I I also anticipated that you know best case scenario would be one where you know you have to play musical chairs between the classroom and the the uh, at home you know remote virtual stuff, and I didn't want to like like Jessica was saying like. They largely want us to have everything loaded on the, the uh, learning management systems in case. But, but, you know, even if it's loaded there, if you have in your mind, okay, I'm going to be doing an in-person lesson, you know, I mean, that, that's it's going to be a different style of delivery and you're probably going to need some handouts and things like that. And so you're, you're still going to be like having to reorient exactly how you're going to approach your lesson from week to week. So if I'm going to do that, I'm just going to stay online. And so what, C, what CPS is doing, Chicago Public School System, I want to say it's the third largest school district in the country. Uh, they, and this, this came from the, the union. And so I want to say in an article I, I read through today, I want to say it was 73% of uh, the union members who voted, uh, voted to not go back to in-person. And the main beef that they had or the main reason why they don't want to go back in person is they feel like there's not enough testing. And I saw part of this, one of these articles, they had pictures of, uh, I guess, uh, the testing that they were getting for, for people. Um, I'm, I'm assuming they were all, all the testing was for unvaccinated students, but the, uh, they, they were delivering these testing kits uh, through FedEx at these like, uh, you know, these, these drop boxes and they had pictures of the drop boxes overfilled with the testing kits and like stacked on top of them and stacked on the sides of them. And basically they were, they were saying that they weren't able to, to process them. Uh, and incidentally, I discovered that I thought it was mainly uh, a company called shield that was processing the COVID test here, but apparently color labs is also, uh, has some contracts with uh, Chicago public school system. And uh, there were several, uh, I was peeked at, you know, CNN and, and, and Fox today. And on both, uh, they had uh, interviewed some people from, uh, from CPS uh, to basically give the rationale for why they want to withhold uh, in-person learning. You know, some of it has to do with this, this whole Omicron thing, but uh, mainly what they want is more, more testing and it sounded like one of the the spokespeople uh, from the union like they it sounded like they wanted everybody tested not just those who are unvaccinated and you know we all agree that uh, that factually right you, if you're vaccinated you can still transmit it uh and so at least i guess at least they would have a, a even standard you know for every for everybody but you know uh i I don't want anybody being tested, so I'm not cool with that. But I guess at least it's not a double standard as far as who can transmit. So that's uh, that's pretty much what's going on in the Chicagoland area as far as uh, school closures. So, Jake, they did I do I have this right? They canceled school today because of the union vote, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, yeah. It sounded like uh, it it almost sounded like. Like they weren't they they weren't prepared to go online. It almost sounded like like for now they're just in limbo. Like yeah. like they haven't even they haven't shifted to just where we're going to go remote. It almost sounds like they're waiting to even start the semester. But I'm I'm guessing that if they're going to postpone, that yeah they're going to shift to to remote. So. Well, I read too. 
I was trying to find it. I read this morning um, something about how like the city had locked all of the Chicago teachers out of their, I think it's Google. It's like the Google Classroom, right? That they use for an online platform. So it had, they actually disabled teacher access to that so that basically like students couldn't contact their students, like even if they wanted to during the strike, like presumably either to try to teach remotely or to let the, I don't know. But I just thought that was interesting, you know, because it's, it's like, uh, it's just such a like perfect example of like, well, this is what you're asking for. You're asking for like centralized control, you know, which can be turned on, turned off at the drop of a hat. Like, anyway. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I didn't, I don't, um, you know, most of the, I, I was, wasn't reading super in depth, uh, but it did sound like something like, like that. That's, that's what I gathered from, you know, some of the skimming I was doing. Um, so, so yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting that they would, uh, you know, that maybe part of that, the rationale for that, uh, basically blocking communications might be, uh, you know, that, as I mentioned, it's largely the teachers, the teachers unions, the union members who have voted. And it might be the case that the parents and the students <laughs> have opposite opinions and they, right. They might be com- contacting the teachers like, Hey, well, you know, what's up? Why aren't we going? And, you know, without that, without that communication, maybe that could possibly have swayed maybe some people. I was very surprised that, that it was uh, over 25% of teachers said that they wanted that ostensibly wanted to go back in person. I thought that was a lot based on my experience with this, uh, how it's gone over the last couple of years. But. Maybe it was because they didn't put out a interpretive dance video this time around. <laughs> Did you guys remember? That was, the, yeah. that was Chicago, right? I, I don't remember if it was Chicago. It would not surprise I'm pretty sure it was. It probably was. It probably was. Yeah. I don't know about that. But I want to see if, um, Kenny, is there anything you want to add to this or say about what you've either heard or um, thoughts you've had about the rec- what's recently gone on? Uh, well, I know about Chicago. I know that, you know, being in the news, you know, about the Teachers Union in Chicago, uh, kind of spearheading that movement to go back to remote uh, learning. I mean, I'm not in education, I'm in the restaurant business and, you know, in San Francisco, you know, I know Color Labs very well. That's a dominant contract in this city. Uh, And, you know, they have my DNA. I've had at least over 40 tests with them. Um, What I do know it's happened on my industry that also relates to, you know, the pressure for more testing, you know, because there is some mass hysteria in San Francisco right now. Uh, in terms of testing, you know, I um, I am vaccinated. As people know, in previous episode, I, I was forced to get vaccinated to for family matters, um, and uh, I think I have the only cold that call it because it's not something severe. My partner also has it. Uh, it uh, hit her a little hard. She's actually been sick multiple times this year, and she was vaccinated way before than I did. Um, and so I also know that the person she probably got it from, if you believe the PCR test, right, uh, is boosted up weeks ago. I myself, I'm waiting for my test. I was, um, I was, I'm freshly vaccinated. I'm at the peak vaccination right now. I'm like a month removed from my vaccination, you know. And, and so I, uh, I'm having the same symptoms that unvaccinated people have. You know, like my friends who like uh, are, are are really struggling with being forced to get vaccinated. 
And so just going back to, you know, the hysteria, I know that people here in the city are fighting for uh, uh, home test kits, which kind of, in my view, Lucy links to this, uh, because Biden had dropped a hint, right, that he was going to set up 500 million test kits or some sort of BS like that, right? And then, you know, it kind of clicks, rings a bell when you, Jessica, say that, you know, a centralized form of testing. Because right now there is also these loose, you know, uh, companies doing testing. Uh, there is no, you know, centralized form. And at some point, you know, we are gonna have to have, you know, uh, because from the narrative that we're saying, right, that this is not about vaccination. This is not about uh, public health. This is about data tracking, uh, you know, vaccine passports. You know, I wonder if that's like where, that that move is going to come, you know, from the decentralized state in order to come and save us from the scarcity of of test kits, um, regardless of, you know, the fact that this is not by their own narrative, like you said, Jessica, this is not even close to anything they were narrating before, you know, like in terms of the deadliness, you know, um, and the story is not that you know, the, the, the vaccinated are uh, spreading this shedding mass and they're, you know, testing positive in mass, like in San Francisco. You know, we're probably, I don't know what the, the vaccination rate is here, but we're definitely one of the most compliant cities in, in this whole nation. And, you know, I know so many people right now, you know, that are, have tested positive, and some of which have symptoms. And, Again, it just brings a challenge to the narrative that, you know, like you said, Jake, that uh, we've challenged on this show that we've always said, and we've gotten censored, coerced, manipulated, uh, blacklisted, uh, disowned by, by different people for saying that these vaccines were never designed to stop transmission. You know, and recently I read an article, you know, in doing research for this, that um, where AP, AP, the AP, you know, um, AP News, what is it? Yeah. AP News. Uh, they're trying to explain and spin, you know, oh, why are people mis explaining why people mistakenly believed that vaccination would stop transmission? When in reality, that's the, that was the whole premise of the mandates. But, and that is not the conversation, that is not the challenge. The, the, the story is lack of test kits, right? The story is more testing, the story is like, considering some form of, you know, lockdowns or, or, you know, or, or those tactics that were used previously, which lead us to remote work and remote learning. Right. And, and so th that's been my experience. And, you know, it's just frustrating because uh, <clears throat> I literally had a conversation with my bosses because I fear I was going to lose my job saying that the reason, the main reason, this is before vaccines were even, they were beginning to be available that the reason I wasn't gonna get it was because again, they do not stop transmission and we don't know long-term effects. And both those, those of those things I think are true. You know, and, and actually I just wanted to share, I don't know for certain, this is, uh, I have a skin condition, you know, uh, that I think it's psoriasis, you know, and so it's a new, an immune uh, uh, response, right? It's the body attacking itself is a, a hyperactive you know, immune response. And so my vaccine arm has been hurting since I got this Omnicold. Like it's been that spot and like my arm has been tingling. And 
I've also been itchy. Like I've had flare-ups of, of these, of these uh, things on my skin. I can't trust to go to the doctor because the doc- I would be dismissed, you know, because it's over two weeks, right, since the vaccine. So these are things that we don't know, right? I, I, I'm not saying for certain that that's what's happening, but it's just the fact that the entire system is built to just push for the vaccines uh, and and the, um, segre- the segregation of people who challenge this narrative, right? And and uh, yeah, sorry, just uh, I hope that kind of, that, that has been my experience as what I'm dealing with. You know, it's not so much in the educational field, but it obviously relates to it. Yeah, I mean, that's actually, I mean, for me, there are so many mind fucks in all of this um, because, I mean, I know Jake, in your article, you talk about, um, how the essentially global unions, the GUF, uh, Global Union Federation, and EI stands for Education, Education, International. Education International or something like that. Education International. Yeah. Like, and these things are connected to NEA and AFT. So, and of course, all these things are connected to WEF and UNESCO. Um, and, and I think you attribute that to like uh, the globalist aims. I might look at that a little differently in terms of where the aims are. I still look at them as more nationalist aims, but whatever. It's coming from on top, all right? That's when we would definitely agree on. And uh, and that's our top of our national unions to our state unions. Um, but on the ground, what I face is my colleagues, my fellow workers pushing for building the biosecurity state and pushing for building the all remote replace my job with AI, data, collect data on all our students, keep them all separated um, and keep us all separated, keep our students separated, prepare everyone for the fourth industrial revolution that you wrote about, you know? And so I, our heads are being fixed and our heads have already been fixed, but it's weird to just, to find myself between the union president of Chicago and Lori Lightfoot to find myself, well, I think Lori Lightfoot's actually making a little more sense, you know, in terms of this is going to, but this is going to mess up students. What Lori Lightfoot doesn't want to say is she just keeps on saying vaccines, vaccines, vaccines um, as an answer, which it isn't. It does, I mean, there is no answer from, from people like Lori Lightfoot, but the problem is, is there definitely is no answer from my, from our unions, from our unions, not just way up, but really here on the ground and from our own members who are pushing, I would say, in the name of health and safety, pushing a disastrous plan that's going to, that really, if you, for me, when I think about my union, my former union um, and some of the unions around me, pushing for testing, pushing for full vaccination, pushing for more N98, N95 masks for everyone, it's almost like our unions have gone out and said, how do we build a stronger surveillance state? So we are going to push for that. We're going to push for everything that's going to strengthen the hand of the state. We're going to build stronger prisons. We're going to make, uh, and uh, you know, the, the, we want the INS to be stronger. We want the police to be stronger. Like it would be like everyone on, who I've been working with cheerleading for that kind of program. And I, and 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 to do so in the name of 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 the health and safety. And I, and I do have to show this. Although I will tell you, if if you're listening from the vantage point of a person who wants to shut down the schools. For some reason, these numbers don't matter to people um, when they when you talk about the health and safety part of this. 
here's, I guess I'll start with a quote from uh, Jesse Sharkey, the president of the union. And it's the same stuff we're hearing from our members. Right now, going to school puts us at risk, puts our students and families at risk. Uh, that's the simple truth of the matter. This is a virus that's raging through the city, right? This, this, and this is the kind of stuff they're talking about uh, in Chicago and in here um, in, in the Bay Area. Well, first, I got to start with this. This is the CDC numbers, okay? And Jake's talked about it. I think Jessica's talked about it. These are the infection fatality rates that you can see off the CDC. And this was put out back in April or May, pretty much when Delta was starting, May of 2021. Um, and if you look at these numbers right here, all right, oh, uh, let's see, right down here, 20 out of one, meaning how many, if you have 1 million people infected, how many people are going to die, right? And if you're zero to 17, it's 20. If you're below uh, 50 to 18, it's 500. And if it's 50 to 64, it's 6,000. This was back in April. All these three. This is with COVID, right? Not This is with COVID, right? This is if you, if you have a positive. Uh, infection, not case fatality rate, but it, you're believed to have COVID, the symptoms of COVID. All right. Um, these numbers are all equal to or lower than flu, lower in the case of zero to 17. The numbers are a little, are higher, four or five times higher for the elderly in terms of the infection fatality rate for COVID. That's about it. And that number has kind of come down over, over time. Now this and so this is the deadliest thing we're talking about here. This is as deadly as COVID was, which was basically the flu for everyone 64 or younger. And that's April, 2021. And when you look at the VOE study on, um, it was a British study on what Omicron is, what do they say about it? Researchers looked at symptoms reported between October 13th and October 10th, October 10th uh, and compared those to the most recent, December 3rd and December 10th when Omicron was spreading. So here are the top five symptoms reported in December. Runny nose, headache, fatigue, either mild or severe, sneezing, and sore throat. So this is what people are losing their minds about. And this is like, this is mainstream crap. And it's... I'm going to lose my mind over what it says at the top. Sorry. What does it say? Science has used ostrich cells. <laughs> oh my gosh. Different okay. well, interesting. Um, anyway, so the, the, it is crazy to me that like, this is where I don't, it's like people are in this weird kind of state where these are the actual numbers. This is actually what's being put out by the mainstream. Although you don't hear a lot about infection fatality, you just hear case numbers, case numbers, case numbers. Um, and people are still terrified and the terror has got teachers and teachers are at the front lines of terror actually of being terrified and they are the ones who are like pushing for this um from below um and i, I just don't even know what to, exactly to, where to start with that thing it just messes with my head it's so hard not to just be infuriated with my colleagues our colleagues i think i mean i you know i I know it's not, you know, it's not the fault of the working class, but it is so incredibly frustrating to watch. Again, teachers selling out their students and themselves, even from a from a selfish point of view. But it, I just, I mean, having like talked to students, I just don't understand how anyone could think that we should shut down again. Like 
you know it will hurt them. You know it will hurt them. And it will disproportionately hurt Black students, poor students, students with learning disabilities. I would argue it will hurt every single student. But certainly if you care about equity and all of that, you know. I don't have the numbers exactly, but I imagine that, you know, death for um, young people, zero to 17, is a lot higher from suicide as a result of this bullshit. Yes. Of the lockdowns, of the loss of, you know, uh, social interaction, you know, especially during the key years of socializing and development, right? For the brain, we've, uh, you and Eduardo Lipson interviewed um, uh, psychologists, right? Uh, yeah. On that topic, you know, people can look at that episode. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's supposedly we want to protect kids, right? And in, in, in this like um, framework of social justice uh, gets uh, advanced and, and at least for the left, you know, that, that, that um, I think that is uh, a kind of place in the mind because it's almost automatic. You know, the, the, we've, we've talked about the cult thinking, right? Uh, in previous episodes too of the left. And, and I think that this is where that comes into into hand, you know, like, um, uh, and especially in, in a situation where we had a president that supposedly on the narrative from the left was attacking science, right? So now we ha- we live in a situation where the so-called experts can't be challenged. And we have people like Dr. Fauci saying that they are science. And if you attack him, he is science, even though he's been lying to his fucking teeth left and right. You know, and, and you know, it, you don't have to be an expert or a college educated person to know that when someone is changing their story often and shit doesn't add up, they're fucking lying to you. And I would add that you always believe the part that le- when they talk out two sides of their mouth, you always believe the side that benefits you the least. Because if, the, because if it was the one that benefited you the most, you don't need to talk out the other side. Right. I mean, that's, you know, that's another layer to that that I would add. But I'm curious, I want to ask, um, so I mentioned that in Chicago, a lot of the, the push to go remote has come from the unions uh, in Washington and in, and in uh, uh, California, in, in your experiences, Jessica and, and uh, Andy, is, is it the, largely the unions or the district or the mayor, the, the governor, et cetera? Uh, I would just say that my experience of the push is like it's coming from the grassroots almost, if you would call it that, right? It feels like it's coming from our members pushing our union to, and our union starting to move. The district doesn't want to do this. The district has got all sorts of issues right now. I mean, look, I do believe that it that the long-term plan of being able to pull us in and out of remote is very useful for the plan of, of creating schools for the fourth industrial revolution. So I do see, but, but, but this particular operation, it doesn't seem, it doesn't, didn't feel initiated by the district. The district is, is trying to like not deal with the union. The union leadership is getting pressure from its members. It's possibly getting pressure from its, its union unions up above, but it ain't coming from Newsom as far as I can tell. This is, this feels like it's coming from below. Um, Although, of course, there's been a massive head fixing operation on teachers. So they're just doing what the state tells them. But uh, in some ways, the district is, is, dra- is being seen as dragging its feet on the health and safety of teachers and, and students. Yeah, I think like at the university level, it's kind of similar. Like right now, there's a real tension between 
like the institutional administration, like for example, at UW and the faculty and teachers and the unions and the grassroots organizers, because at this point, I think the institution loses money uh, if they go remote, at least in the short term. And they also look weaker and weaker and stupider and stupider every time they like flip flop. Um, but yeah, I mean, faculty's begging, begging for it. And I got an email from my, I'm still on like my former union email list. I got an email today where they're, yeah, they're organizing like a, I don't think it was a petition. I think it was just kind of like a letter filing grievances, uh, you know, cause according to their contract, um, like workers are not supposed to be subjected to threats, right? Health and safety threats on the job. Um, so they were, yeah, they filed grievances or are filing grievances against the administration. Um, they're asking or demanding that anybody who wishes to work remote must be granted that wish. Uh, they're asking for like mat like N95s, uh, more testing, more PPE. Yeah. So I would agree. I do think, I don't know, at the state level, uh, the, with the testing stuff and like the surveillance that all you all have been speaking to, I think, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to tell. It's an echo chamber. Like I hear faculty and, and workers begging for more testing. Like, oh, we can't, we don't have enough tests. We can't get hold of them. It's an access issue. They should send them to our doors. They should test everybody. Um, but then I know like for Washington, I think Inslee gave a, another press conference or whatever today. And it was all about like pumping up the, the at-home testing regimen, which I do think is going to be like a real, uh, point of focus, like moving forward. Um, part of this whole like permanent surveillance apparatus. Um, and I know like for Washington, their, their testing kits, which people like teachers are begging for, like the, the push to distribute more means that they're partnering up with corporations, you know, like uh, they're, they're partnering up with, you know, um, philanthropic health and human rights defenders like Amazon and Microsoft. I mean, it's just, uh, it's such a joke. And it, it's all like, if you read any email from the union, um, it, it's all the language of surveillance. Like we have to monitor this situation, um, you know, sick, sick until proven other uh, healthy. I don't think any of this happens without compliance from the, you know, the bottom, you know, in order to gain compliance for the bottom, you need, you know, the narrative to be driven into, you know, drilled in, you know, and at this point, we're in a situation where, like you said, Lipson earlier, facts don't matter. You know, it, it, it's a cult. It's cult thinking. I was actually browsing today uh, and I like uh, Kim, Iverson, you know, she on YouTube, um, you know, she tends to report, she reports more than, you know, about uh, stuff that aligns more with what we're arguing, right? Like, you know, and uh, I was interested by this term, mass formation psychosis, you know, that was brought up in Joe Rogan's show 
in, 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 I was shocked because it, you, know, you can argue confirmation bias on my end, <laughs> but it, to me, it explains what I've been uh, interpreting as happening around me. You know, these, these uh, you know, people basically begging for the lock and key system, you know, that, that is being constructed, you know, that, that our liberty, our, our lives have been held at ransom, right? Uh, and, and, and then, you know, I remember I saw also a quote that I wrote years ago about uh, that, you know, that people in power weaponize fear to tell us that we need them. You know, and, and, and so, so here we are. I, I don't even think like we can in the, rationalize this. You know, I've tried to have conversations with people. You know, some, some, I actually want one person in my life that I used to work with has, did call my brother to apologize you know, over the harassment once they heard our episode where I was talking about the personal toll that it was taken. So I, I, I don't think this guess, this will be um, uh, handled in just a logical terms. It has to be held, handled in a human way, right? Like that's what we have to relate and show people how this has, is destroying lives, you know? And like, and I wanna, I don't wanna dive too much into like suffering porn, you know? But like on a personal level, this person saw that, you know, and he's seeing more of the arguments that I was making over a year ago, you know, that vaccine parts, passports were on their way. This person is, is, has a master's in, in civil engineering, by the way. And, and, and their partner works for Stanford, uh, uh, basically, uh, what is it, uh, Ed, or looking at grants in the in biotech right and this and she was certain that i was wrong you know certain that i was wrong that i was anti-science you know that i was an anti-vaxxer you know and again these are people in that field or, or i have a friend who's who works in biotech who has shown me data you know to prove that vaccines um do stop transmission you know, and, and so th th my point is that rationality, logic, facts, this, even this term mass, uh, what is it again? Um, mass formation psychosis can be used against anybody. You know, they can use it against, against us. They can say that we are the psychotic people. Yeah. So, you know, like, again, I don't think we, we handle this on like just a, a debate type of way. Like it has to be handled in a more human way where we relate to each other and we know they're in, in the same struggle. You know, in a way. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I re I'm reminded of uh, you know to tie what uh, you Kenny said with with something that uh, Andy said, and that is this I this this on and off switch. This you know we're remote. We're not. We're in person. You need testing. You need a vaccine. Wait a minute. I need to go back home. And you know it's basically Simon says right. Like when I jump, you say how high. And um. You know, there's in I, I've talked a lot about, you know, the Skinner method and different forms of psychological conditioning, classical behaviorist operant. And all of what they have in common is the, the concept that you can condition behaviors through the scheduling of rewards and punishments. But there was also studies that they did where they studied something called learned helplessness. And so it, what, what they discovered that you could do. In, in training animals was if you were to discombobulate the reward and punishment schedule in a way that 
the animal has no sense. There's no pattern. There's no organization to it. It doesn't understand why or when it's being punished or rewarded that eventually what it does is it just, it's called learned helplessness. Like it'll just lay there and it, it'll just stop responding to pretty much any, any sort of uh, stimuli in any, any cohesive way. Uh, and you know, that's sort of, I mean, I, I feel like that it also relates to something that John Taylor Gatto talks about. Uh, and, uh, he wrote the book, uh, uh, the underground history of American education. He wrote another this piece called against schooling. And in it, he looks at these different principles of education by Alexander Inglis. And he was the head of the education, uh, department at Harvard and, you know, early 20th century. And, he had these various principles and one of the principles uh they discussed you know how to make how to make people obedient and the the concept the the way that you could really tell if your your students or your your subjects uh were obedient was if you could get them to obey uh nonsensical orders right because that's how you know that they're totally obedient because if they're obeying orders that could be in the, in that person's own self-interest, you never really know if they're obeying because it's good for them and they're following their own self-interest or if they're obeying because you tell them. But if you can get them to do nonsensical stuff that is not within their own self-interest and has no logical rationale, then you know that you have them under your, your, your thumb, basically. You know that basically anything you say, right, you could say mask on one day, uh, one mask, two mask, red mask, blue mask, you know what I mean? Like, the, and they will, they will comply. And I, I think, I think that's possibly one of the uh, angles of, of why they're doing this, uh, this on and off switch. Another thing that I think about, I think about the timing of uh, and how how the the issue of testing is coming up in this this recent off switch uh, is if, if uh, the the EUA on the PCR tests is getting ready to go bye bye right and so uh, at the same time right right around now we're talking about oh we we can't we don't have enough tests and so I, I just I wonder how that's going to drive whatever's going to be the alternative uh, for you know, whatever they're going to replace the, the PCR with, or maybe they'll re-extend it. I, I don't know, but I, the timing of it and that method, this on and off, you know, uh, I, there's, there's something else going on there, I think. Just real quick. Uh, and so that again, just like with teachers, right, asking for this stuff and, and actually pu pushing from the bottom for these surveillance systems. Uh, in San Francisco too, you know, like the, the this proof of vaccination drive, came before the city even implemented it. Restaurants and bars were asking for it. And as a matter of fact, right now, there are already restaurants and cafes are starting to ask for the booster shot in San Francisco. Yeah, um, that's what I wanted to mention is the only other area that's going on here, and I don't wanna to spend too much time on it, is there is, there is another round of booster discussion, boosters for five to 12 year olds or 12 to 17. I know at the higher ed colleges, a whole round of boosters are being forced on students in, at UCs here and CS or CSUs here in California in order to attend in-person learning. So there's a number of little games that are being played, increased testing, boosters, vaccines, going remote. Every one of these things fits right into the 
into the and fits right into the piece of the puzzle being put together around the what I would say the capitalist class and and the fourth industrial revolution. And I will say that um, Kenny, the, the thing you said about how do we, I think it's important to actually get to some of the stuff that Jake was saying in his article that to, to, to use that to begin to say, there's something else going on. You cannot understand this in terms of health and safety. And um, this was one of the quotes that I pulled out of there that was big for me. Um, Jay, and Jake, who was the dude who was the Dutch um, uh, fan, fan Lewin or something like that? It's L-E-E-U-W-E-N. I do not know how you pronounce that. Uh, What's his uh, first name? Do you remember? Fred. It's Fred. Fred Van Fred Lewin, right. And so this is, I mean, there's a lot of things in the article, um, but what was really amazing to me is in 2018, this guy's writing about the, uh, essentially something about like, how do we build education for the fourth industrial revolution? That's the title of the goddamn thing. That's, is that 2018, right? Yeah, that was a route was published by Routledge and has several co-authors. That's his uh, endorsement of it. And the foreword to that book, by the way, is written by Klaus Schwab himself. And okay, right. So, about it. Yeah. And so here he wrote innovations in technology today. And again, remember, this is written before this whole remote crap. Make it make make it possible to synthesize, analyze data to tailor pedag pedagogy to individual student needs and provide feedback in real time, significantly reduce costs allow students um, from drastically different parts of the world to collaborate on projects. Yeah, that's what this is about. And create platforms for sharing best practices. Only a strategic integration of personal coaching and digital learning can provide both the technological and human-centered skills necessary to thrive in the fourth industrial revolution. So for me, it's like, this is a plan. And we're just seeing how people this fear of sickness is being used to drive one piece of this plan of separating people, of mass data collection, of, uh, of you know, getting enough data to, to build AI systems that can both replace workers, but also help manage students and manage future workforces on a mass scale with all that data coming in. And the thing that kills me is that Chicago is actually talking and has actually really kind of done a strike on Wednesday, like they did what would be called a strike. And the strike is a tool of the working class. And currently that most important tool of the working class is being not just used as a weapon against other sections of the class, like other parents and things like that. It, as Jessica's pointing out, it actually hurts the interest of the workers who are doing the strike. And the only beneficiary of that, of the use of the most important working class weapon, the strike, the only beneficiary is the fourth industrial revolution, the state, the big tech. That's it. Those are the people who win from this. And it's, I don't even know what to say when we're in a situation where the one thing that is the most important weapon that, the, that I believe that the working class can use for its own interests has now been turned against itself and turned as a weapon it's not even, I don't even know what's being used by the capitalist class. They've just sort of, they just sort of let it go. And here it goes, you know, because I don't think our school district likes this happening, but I guarantee you people like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, they must be laughing, like just going like, these people are idiots, you know, and thinking that they're just going to have their way. So that's just something I was thinking. Yeah. I mean, I think it like if and when we move to permanent remote learning 
as the model, like there will be no picket lines, like ever. Like you can't have a picket line in that system. So it's just, it's so, it's so backwards to me that people can't see that. Like unions can't see that. I mean, the grassroots part of unions, not the leadership. And one thing, Jessica, I want to come back to you. Like I went remote this week and my, when I teach all my students on, um, at one o'clock to two o'clock, all my sections of sixth grade and seventh grade are all massed into one class. And I teach them all. Like, what does that say when you talk about cost saving? You, instead of me teaching five different classes, okay, now I can teach five of those classes at once. Like, that should tell you what this thing's about. That should, te- that should tell you that this is about ultimately moving to a situation. That's what the cost savings comes in, where one teacher with an AI helper, and then ultimately just the AI themselves, can teach masses and masses of students. Sorry. Just well I, put I a, no, I mean, you might as well put a barcode on their heads. but and also i I, also from reading your article jake um you know the 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 push for this we always is not new you know i went to i started college in 2005 uh at uc berkeley uh i went to college whatever uh i was there for four and a half years and online learning was already a thing you know, this is not new, you know, and now that, for example, as a restaurant manager, I am forced uh, to check vaccination in order to allow indoor service for people to my restaurant. I see kids from college we, that, that show their proof of vaccination on their fucking dashboard from their university. <laughs> so so we are, we, we are, that future that we're talking about, it's already being actually come pretty much implemented at universities. You know, because the the, the 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 you know the blockchain situation that we've been talking about on their shows, um, it's not a future. It, it, it's what I you know, and what I'm realizing is that you know the pieces have been there. It's just you know, like like you said, Lipson, in the previous show that it, you know it takes waves to advance and synthesize and solidify this system of surveillance. But the pieces, the ingredients are already there. You know. And maybe you can say more uh, to that, Jake, uh, you know, that this is not new, you know, that there, uh, and that's where I think the link to the systems of global governance coming into play. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, uh, at some point I probably, I, I think I want to pull up the math and just, just so we can see W-E-F-E-I, UNESCO and some of the people involved in, in companies and just, just so you can kind of visually see it. But I, I, at this point, I do want to build on something that you just said, which is, uh, and that this is why I asked uh, Jessica earlier uh, whether or not those tests were provided on that dashboard, um, because we know that the testing companies uh, like Color Labs and Vault, that they also traffic in genomic sequencing. Now they say that, right? They they destroy your your test sample, you know, so many days after, um, and that they do not do anything with that sample. They do not sequence it at any point. Um, and but but again, as we've just mentioned, right? It's it's only. A matter of time. I mean, the infrastructure is there for one day for them to say, "Yeah, I mean, we've got the test, we've got the service. All we've got to do is 
sequence it, right? And at the same time, well, the learning the learning management dashboards, uh, there is a there's an LMS company called Agilix. So it's A-G-I-L-I-X. And it is connected to its uh, one of its parent companies. Uh, it's basically a subsidiary of, or a, or a satellite or a branch of uh, Ancestry.com. Okay, so you've got you've got the learning management systems, the LMSs connected to uh, companies that traffic in uh, basically uh, tracking your 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 heredity. I don't know that Ancestry actually does like genomics uh, sequencing like 23andMe does. I think it largely does like family tree stuff, right? But you can still see the connections between. Uh, tracing your your biological heritage, sequencing your genomics, and then your ed tech data. So what that could enable down the pipe is for these companies to correlate particular gene sequences with particular learning algorithms, right? And this is something that's called precision education that I wrote about in my book, where eventually they want to personalize your education, your, your lessons, your career pathways, um, your your uh, your digital badges for your your workforce training certificates um, that that they want to personalize those lesson plans etc based on your genetic capacity and the way they'll do that is to say that everybody who does poorly on this learning module on this learning management system based on their DNA that we've tested has this particular sequence so we can say right one day that before you even put anything into the learning management system, before you get any learning data, we already know you've got that gene where we know you're not going to do very well on this career pathway. So we're not even going to offer it to you, right? We're, that, that would be a waste of money and a waste of time. And it would probably be cruel to make you uh, to uh, attempt that, right? And so th this, this could easily be, you know, we're, we're looking at how a lot of the infrastructure that is, that is, uh, being leveraged right now has did not come here overnight, right? And so it's only a couple of steps uh, for the next iteration. And, and so I, yeah, I wanted to note that. And also in there will be social emotional factors too, which is so perfect given that all of this push to remote learning is totally destroying everybody's mental health, especially young people. Yeah, they, they that Google uh, at, uh, I saw was having like these wellness checks through like these the, the, the Google Sheets, um, and that you know I've been seeing recently on the on the uh, on the commercials on TV uh, this new campaign. It's something like stop the stigma or fight the stigma. And what it means is the stigma of mental health issues, right? And, and basically it's a promotion to just like to share all your mental health stuff with, you know, it sounds like it's, you know, share it with a trusted friend or something, but I mean, you know, priming you to be constantly checking in on your LMS, not just like you said, your learning data, but like, how do you feel today? Right? Like, are you, are you feeling too stressed out from being locked down? And then as you, as you know, right, well, now we can start correlating different conditions with that. And maybe, maybe we're going to give you some, some SSRIs, right. For your uh, serotonin uh, reuptake inhibitors or, you know, ADHD medicines, et cetera. Right. Yep. And a lot of this information, it's already being collected. It's just not being openly used or disclosed, you know, like dating apps, right? They know when you're lonely. They know when you feel, you know, 
corny they know when you you know all these things and and based on that just like also instagram they know you know same things when you're feeling a certain way and then when you're not active on instagram they send you a notification so to, to gratify you and you know notifications connect to all these you know systems of pleasure and satisfaction and so and, and again it's not that that distance of connecting all these systems of bio and psychological surveillance you know they're right there you know it, it's just a matter of connecting everything into the system the blockchain right like in, in in order to have a complete picture and to what Alison McDowell refers to as digital identities. Yeah, and also um, actually someone from our Workers and Students for Choice group um, sent me some, some research on Navigate in particular, which my institution uses for like advising purposes and data collection. Um, and I guess they're, they, I don't know how long ago it was, but they were uh, including students' race on there and then using it as like a predetermining factor for where they would like place students. So these systems are totally racist. Um, and I also, uh, Kenny, what you said, it reminded me, I had obviously, uh, I got a new insurance, health insurance uh, since I started a new job. And when I had to do all my sign up stuff, there was like a, almost like an incentive health quiz thing where you did you have to do that too? And I, I mean, I looked at it and it was the most extensive thing I have ever seen. It was like, you know, how many servings of fish do you eat per and then mental health and I mean, every detail of your life. And you, I forget if you got like a cash like just straight cash or if it was like applied to your um, premiums or what. But I mean, it was literally like, do this, we'll give you money. It, it's yeah. I had the same experience actually last week doing that same process, 50 questions where they ask you the, the same question from, you know, in, you know, I, I'm not stupid. I know you're doing the same shit from different angles to get to a point and they give you like a, a, a heart rate score Right. Or, or like, a, how, how old is your heart rate? You know, I, it's I, like a little like it's almost like a Facebook quiz with like the colors yeah. and like you scored yeah. 76, but like you could exercise more. It's <laughs> kind of like a game because it, it's a rewards, a bonus, uh, achievements. Uh, and then they give you, uh, at least for me, a uh, discount, you know, for, for the for the year, you yeah. know, which they couldn't give it to you just up front. You know, you have to earn it. And for me, it also involves getting tested. And um, having my doctor or one of their, their partner companies getting uh, the, my bio uh, information, you know, like uh, cholesterol, heart situation, you know, diabetes, you know, all, all the tests that we usually get and uploading them to their system and me authorizing that they uploaded to that central system. So there's all in this interconnectedness uh, uh, happening. Isn't it nice that all our health insurance information is tied to our employer? America. And the COVID vaccine too, by the way, is you have to attest as well that you right. were not vaccinated. Well, the thing that was that I've been thinking about, um, I mean, maybe y'all are really, you've already thought that, but I just keep thinking about the way we talk about algorithms in our Google search engine, right? How it kind of shapes a world around us based on our, based on our inputs. 
And now if, as we centralize more of this data and move it towards digital ID and then your genetic data, and we're talking, I mean, that's like the, the movie theme from that movie Gattaca, right? Where essentially your bio data, your educational experience, your, what you're doing on social, on social media, what you spend money on, all that information can essentially be used by an algorithm to kind of shape your world where you might think that you're seeing the entire world, but you're not, you're, you're, you're seeing the world that is allowed, you're allowed to see by based on your DNA, based on your spending habits, based on the, your background, based on your education, um, and, and based on the inputs you put in there. And, and it's like, literally, we're building a system, or just, and particularly when you, when this remote system keeps us so separate, the only thing that might allow us to not, to to not know we're living in a bubble is to talk to somebody else to know what their bubble is. And they're like, well, that's your bubble. I mean, that's what we, we experience that all the time. So it really is frightening to me um, how this, how effective this could be at, at the very least, because I, I don't think this is stable for capitalism to do this, but I certainly think it, it does to the working class what, uh, I wasn't sure that they would be able to do, which is literally just atomizes. Um, and then the, I don't know what to say when the working class starts waging struggles that are actually against its, its own class interests. And then I, now it, it's doubly confusing to me. So um, this is a, it's just, it's a really dismaying thing where I'm a not for Chicago Lair, Lori, Lori Lightfoot. I'm not for, you know, the state but I'm not from my, these unions either. Like they're, they're doing the wrong thing. And there's no one I can get behind um, on any of this. Um, and I think I try to think, well, what would teachers have to do? And I think, I think they would have to go back and be with their students and be with each other. And I keep coming back to the notion like the Luddites of old, that we would literally just have to dismantle all the ed tech and rip it up from as best we can within there. And like, paper and pencil and all that kind of stuff. But we're so far away from that. Teachers are- They won't do it. I mean, they won't do it. Yeah. I mean- I felt like, like a dinosaur the other day, like handing out a paper syllabus. And the kids are like, uh, what is this? But <laughs> this is what came up in our workers and students for choice. And I, I do think this might be the future, which gets back to getting out of the institutional education, including even the school I'm working in, which isn't as much connected, but going into a more homeschool pod sort of teaching, teaching people like, like that are not part of any institution. Um, and that's kind of what this came up in, in our meeting yesterday at Workers and Students for Choice about people saying, we, can't, we have to get out of public education because we don't want our kids vaccinated. So we're trying to figure out how do we find teachers who can do something that will actually be free, you know, not free financially, but literally like li liberated. Um, and I think that's going to be a part of what will need to happen is these, these institutions are going to have to be destroyed and abandoned. Well, definitely. I, I do think that that idea, and I, I don't know uh, how to get the ball rolling. I mean, you know, we, you and I have talked about this a lot, Andy, as far as like, you know, what do the, what do the next steps look like? But you know, I, I guess some of that's the networking that we're, we're, we're doing. Y'all over there in California, way more than anything I got going over here. I mean, you at least got, you know, some local groups that where you can actually start doing some small little pods or whatever you want to call them. But, 
definitely, um, you know, and I think the more that, that that grows, that the more that, you know, the public education system will have to, you know, I mean, I don't know that, I mean, I, I, I surmise if it could get a big enough movement, so to speak, where the pod movement, I mean, enough people start taking their kids out of the public schools and having these, these organic, you know, real community education, not their community, which is public private partnership stuff through the, through the public schools and the charter schools, et cetera. But, you know, enough people come out of the uh, system because the first thing they lose is the money just based on attendance. Uh, And then, you know, do they do they make an adjustment? I don't know. Maybe they start to back off some of the stuff to try to get people to come back in. I don't know that that means once that we got something off the ground with you know the families and, and educators and students and parents and everybody you know sharing uh, in a in an organic way outside the the corporate state system. Um, you know that once we get that going, I don't I don't know that we would even need to or want to go back to the you know, these official institutions, but, you know, to the extent that they might be able to, you know, uh, provide some, some extra resources if they were willing to, you know, uh, decant all of this craziness. I mean, you know, maybe then we could transition back, but one way or another for the time being, yeah, I, I really do. Like I, I always say, I wrote that book as, uh, tried to make it a defense of public education, but I just, I can't do that. I cannot, you know, if I, I don't have kids, but if I did, I would not be putting them. I they'd be, they'd have been gone at the beginning of this. And so, <laughs> I, there's there's I can't I can't you know I can't really defend it. I know I'm still teaching there, you know, and I I hope that by me being there, I can at least you know have my students read about what is the social credit system. You know, looking at fourth industrial revolution stuff. You know, looking at the Bobby Kennedy debate between uh, with. Um, uh, Dershowitz, you know, what I mean, I've had them reading that, uh, watching that uh, debate since since it, since the first year of this, right? So, I mean, at least they're getting an alternative perspective, um, you know. And so, to that extent, I, you know, I'm still one foot in, one foot out. But, uh, but, but definitely, I we got to build a parallel structure. Is the term that's used for those those structures that you can uh, counter the totalitarian state with. The scary part to me is that, you know, the this kids are already being conditioned to the social credit system outside these institutions, you know, like the, with the systems of validation and, you know, and reward and, you know, um, you know, like Instagram and, you know, TikTok and all these things, you know, that that is, a, a, I think, a, a precursor to like, I, basically, in plain words, I don't think many kids will see anything wrong with a social credit system because they've already been in one. And so, how do you combat that? You know, and and that yes, you know, this uh, alternatives of education, and but it, to me, you cannot um, dismiss the, the the role of the family, you know, in, in the community in, in that, you know, as part of this alternative education. I agree. And I, I do think, I mean, they already have been trying to atomize like the homeschooling communities for years already. I mean, I know in Washington, the laws are crazy about like how you can conduct 
homeschooling, like whether you want to come at it from like a teacher or tutor perspective or um, as the parent. So I totally agree. I don't, I don't think it, I don't think the system can be changed radically or overthrown from the inside out. I think it has to be, has to happen outside parallel structures or whatnot, even realizing that I'm saying that as somebody who's still, you know, like you said, Jake got one foot in and, um, but yeah, I think, I think we also have to be like very vigilant about, you know, we can't just walk away and be like, la, 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 let's go do our own thing because they're, they really want control over every, every aspect. And then, yeah, with regard to the family structure, I think that's again, another example of where the technology, I don't, I don't know how to get people to get rid of their fucking phones, but I mean, it really is like students, uh, kids, they're on these devices 24 seven, uh, at the dinner table, at family functions, uh, everything. Um, and it's, you know, and you can see the way that that it, it sometimes sort of, um, impedes and, and the older you get, I mean, I remember being a 14 year old kid, right? Like you don't want to listen to your parents. You want to do what your peers are doing. You want to do what's cool. And unfortunately now it's, it's like the most anti punk generation of all time. Like corporations are cool and being woke is cool. And I don't know, wearing three masks. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to overcome. And it puts a lot of pressure on us as teachers too. I think like, I feel that I'm like, Oh, it's a big, big job. I, I used to joke with my students. Uh, I remember back once upon a time, back in the old normal days, uh, when I used to go into a classroom, if I would get there, uh, you know, and there would be a few students already in there. And, you know, if I would get relatively close to starting point, you know, there would be a significant number of people there. Uh, and the lights were always off and they would go in and they would sit down. This was at both schools, at any given class, you know, English 99 all the way to 102. Uh, and they would sit down in the dark with their phones on and this glow, these little glows in their faces. And I would always go in and I'd say, yeah, yeah I don't know. You can turn the lights on, right? Like, you don't have to, like, you can turn them on, you know, and socialize. And they never did it. They would sit there and it was like very like sci-fi and I would kind of chuckle like at the time I mean it's at one level it was always kind of spooky uh but it, I mean you know in retrospect it's extra spooky in the, the context of everything we're talking about but uh I would joke and say you know one day they're gonna put those phones in your heads they're gonna plug them straight in your heads and I don't know if y'all know this but when Elon Musk uh when he first rolled out Neuralink he basically said it would hook up to an app on your phone Right. It was like literally they're going to hook the phones up to your head. And so, as you know, like, yeah, I mean, you know, and then then the the faculty, like our colleagues, like there's like this, this like one to one ratio of technology, good technology, good and new technology, better. Right. (laughs) There's no it's not like, well, what type of technology is this? What does it do? What's the privacy policy? When I was 
uh, the adjunct rep on the CARES committee, and we had all this money to, to get digital technologies. A lot of it was PPE, but as an adjunct and a teacher, it was largely what, what our little subcommittee looked at. And we would like, we were supposed to review all these different um, uh, proposals for like simulators and, and dashboards and, and different apps and stuff. And I swear I was, I was like the only person, like I was always either no, or I need more information. Like the proposal were like, we want a simulator for this class. And I'm like, what type of simulator, what specific company, how is, what's the efficacy for the actual technology and what's the privacy statement. And most of the time, like, like nobody would chime in and yeah, like, let's talk about that. It was like everybody else's rubber stamp. Yes, 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 yes. We need technology. You know, I guess we'll, we'll figure, we'll jam something in and we'll figure out how it works. And so, uh, you know, and then, and then with the parents too, I mean, it's not just the students and the faculty, but you, you probably have all seen, you know, you, you go, go somewhere and there's, there's a, you know, a family and, and, the, and the kids are hyper or whatever. And it's like, they give them the, the device as like a babysitter, like, like this will preoccupy by the, the child so that they're not noisy in public or, or rambunctious. And it's like, you know, at, at all these different levels, like there's, there's, it wouldn't matter like if we were, if we all lived in the same neighborhood, right. And we could, everybody at schools, uh, schools, st uh, students and workers for choice. If we were like all neighbors, right. I don't know that we would even be able to do anything like as like in complete solidarity with like laser focus and agreement on like how to get some kind of a rally or a protest petition movement, as long as, Everything I just mentioned, as long as students, you know, younger people want, want to live on the phones to be cool and be entertained, as long as parents want to use it as a babysitter, as long as teachers, you know, basically worship it as, you know, the be all end all of, you know, everything, the, the best practices, you know what I mean? Like that, that those things has to happen. So the only option really is, you know, to, to build some small pods and, and maybe hopefully, you know, uh, those pods can, can network with each other and, and maybe some of the other people we just mentioned come around, but otherwise, you know, I don't know that, I don't know that, I mean, it's like two different universes. I don't know that you can reach across that, you know, I, I, all you can really do is create something somewhere else with, with people of like mind. I do think if people see it, you know, it, like it's really hard where we are right now. But I think for people to change, like change their beliefs and then certainly change their actions, like you kind of have to believe fully that another alternative is possible. And I think a lot of us, not just during COVID, but, you know, like we can't imagine an alternative to capitalism or we can't imagine an alternative to technocracy. Right. And that's how I hear a lot of people talk about, like when I bring up like, well, what about like the privacy statement on Canvas or what about, you know, the effect of Instagram on the mental health of young teenage girls? You know, it's like, well, yeah, that stuff. I totally acknowledge it's terrible, but like, what's the alternative? Like this technology is what we have and we have to use it. But I do think if, if people kind of start to see people doing something else on a larger scale than right now, I don't know. It would give me more hope than I <laughs> currently have. I um, I was watching this uh, episode of Explain on Netflix, you know, uh, and 
they were talking about this hurricane that happened in Puerto Rico, right? Uh, hurricane Maria that destroyed the power grid. And, uh, you know, this area of Loaiza, northern part of uh, Puerto Rico, this community, um, they're, they're, they're very used to dancing together and, and, and creating music together. And after the hurricane came, that community came together. You know, and one of the organizers of that community said that, you know, communities that dance together work together, you know, and, and, and again, it just to me, it, it uh, also reminds me that, you know, when my partner and I went to Canada and I shared this story in a previous episode, the kids at the, that were part of, you know, the uh, funeral uh, or post the funeral, uh, uh, we got together. And the kids were all connected using avatars and, and, you know, very plugged into their iPads. But my partner, who's not very, you know, much about technology, <laughs> she was, she lost it. She was like, what the fuck? And what she took it upon herself to go play with them, you know, and, 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 and then the kids snapped out of it, you know, and the kids started fucking being kids, <laughs> you know, <laughs> getting crazy and playing and, and, you know, and being creative. And, and so that leads me to a quote that I want to share that I think is, you know, I, it's from Asata Shakur. And she says that part of being a revolutionary is creating a vision that is more humane, that is more fun too, that is more loving. It's really working to create something beautiful. And, and, and that is going to require us to come together physically, right? And, and so we can play, so we can dance together, so we can share, you know, what's happening in our bubbles together, you know, and, and whether it be at, at a, you know, at, at your own school, you know, and, and so you can organize and talk shit about the shitty shit that's happening, you know, whether it's at, at your work, work site, right, uh, in a different industry. Um, and, and so another thing that I remember is one time we were with a psychologist who uh, was trying to give therapy as a group to the community, group of community organizers, because we, we went to a lot of trauma organizing to help families in need um, because of the lockdowns. And so she told us too that kids do as parents do, not as parents do, not as parents say. So th th I think there's still responsibility on us, the adults, to show kids, you know, an alternative that is more fun, that is more humane. You know, and, and so I, I understand this is fucking depressive, you know, like what the things that we're talking about is a tall task. But, you know, yes, we're doing it for ourselves, but we're also doing it for those kids because, you know, we, we are, we're probably not going to be fully trapped in these systems, but they might. I, I'm trying to think about why, why has this been such a difficult uh experience for me to see what's going on and to hear about Chicago and to see what's happening in my former union, UESF, and really to see my, the members push for this. Um, and I was, as I was looking at this book up here, um, it's called Labor Wars, um, written by Sidney Lenz. And what he was trying to do was he was trying to under explain what, what caused the struggles of the class in the 30s. And so he wrote a book about the decade of the 20s of a period of minor strikes and uh, all sorts of industry strikes, very violent, brutal, and and defeat after defeat after defeat, really just a, a, a decade of working class defeats during the course of that struggle. But what his thesis is, 
is the bitterness of those defeats is really what what essentially taught trained the class for the fact that it it needed it, it was fighting a war and that it needed to fight the war more seriously if it was going to win and that's how he understood how the class came to what it came to in the context of the 30s there was a communist party and things like that that had a more radicalizing role as well he talks speaks to, but 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 he speaks about the experience of the struggle and the experience of actually defeat a decade of defeats was necessary and i think about what's happening right now and maybe and, and maybe there's other sectors that are doing better things but i think about the teachers union what lessons do you learn when you wage a strike like this when you wage a strike against your own class what in the name ultimately of the capitalist class and you don't even know that that's what you're doing like what what kind of lesson do you learn out of that struggle i i don't i actually don't know like i feel like it's it's it just feels awful it seems awful it seems like that's the kind of class struggle that produces confusion demoralization and mayhem and I was anticipating a decade of defeats and struggle. That's kind of what I, I, I had said as we talked about strikes before in my union. I said, dude, we're going to have to learn to lose before we're going to learn to win, um, as Jake knows in fighting. But, and you too, uh, Jessica. So, you know, I, but I would say that I don't think you learn any lessons when you do, when you do these kinds of organizing. When you, when you wage a strike who's, that benefits the bosses and hurts your own class. And it's, um, so for me, I'm like, how are we gonna learn? Because I know we have to get out, like it is true we will have to exit and build an alternative, but that alternative, if it's meaningful, is going to have to be an alternative which comes back and fights for the, in the name of the system. Because it's not, there's, as Brandy and I have been talking, like there is no exit and build and you just build your own thing and it's all good. At some point, we are going to be faced with the people who run the society saying, what you're doing is too successful and it has to go. Um, and so that's the question for me is, how are we going to learn lessons of struggle out of things like this when it's completely backwards? Um, it took us a, it took the working class a decade of actually struggle of losses to learn what it learned in the 30s. What do we learn out of nonsense like this? And so it's very confounding for me. Yeah, I mean, there's no courage in, in what those Chicago teachers are doing, yeah. like at all, from any angle. Um, yeah, I and I wanted to just comment on like the framing of it as war, because I think as much as I'm 100% behind building beautiful, you know, human parallel structures and societies, I do also think like this is going to be violent. It's already violent. And a lot of that violence, like on, on our side, like I see as self-defense. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I used to be like a big pacifist, <laughs> but I think, I mean, that's the only way I can see to frame it. And I do think we have to throw a little bit of a, a backbone as, you know, a, a collective grassroots movement or group of movements um, like I was looking at, did you guys see that? Um, uh, I think it was over in France, uh, some activists, like just tearing down 5g towers, like just destroying them. Um, and apparently there's been like, I think, uh, whew, several hundred, maybe that's too high in the past like year or so all over France, uh, not just 5g towers, but, um, you know, t 
technologies of the fourth industrial revolution of power and that type of direct action, I think is going to be necessary too, because it, it is a war and it is, it is self-defense. I don't think that the January 6th, which is tomorrow, by the way, uh, well, when people watch this, it'll be a couple days ago, I guess, but it'll be tomorrow from when we're recording. I, I don't think that that, uh, which is, which I think is another psyop is a false flag. And I don't need to go into the details, but there's, there's plenty there. Uh, and you know, the provocateurs there were the, the, the people that were brought there, the whole, the whole framing, uh, and the response, which is now right. The domestic war on terror, uh, that was, that's not an accident that it's in the midst of COVID and the fourth industrial revolution. And it, it didn't take long for people to, uh, uh, for DHS to, uh, list right um, COVID deniers and conspiracy theorists as uh, domestic terrorists, and so um, I I do think that they are prepared for that, and I and I almost feel like they want to foment something in order so that they can crack down harder and to preempt right. So um, you know, self defense is self defense, right? I mean, that, you know, that, that's. To me, that's not a violent action, right? So, um, but I would be extremely careful about how it's approached, and I would try to. They they will want with this domestic terror law. Uh, the whole idea here is to have the the moral high ground. So to to make it look like or to egg uh, one side into acting first, right? So then then whoever is the aggressor uh the other side gets to be justified right and so if right uh protesters of of right left you know all walks of life who, who want to be free and don't want to be jabbed and want to be humans and in person um if they can be framed as the aggressors if they can be framed as the insurrectionists is the word they love to throw around now uh, then, then they will be justified in uh, not only using brutal violence, but actually uh, preemptive, right? Like pre-crime stuff, like, oh, like, you know, like we, you posted something. So we just kicked your door in and snatched you up. Totally. Yeah. Just to be clear, I'm not suggesting people like willy nilly just go like tearing down shit, but at the same time, like they're sticking needles into our children. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? And I would have been totally behind January 6th if it had been a real <laughs> coup. <laughs> you know, maybe just cast those little ropes aside. <laughs> but yeah, totally agree. It was not. Andy, do you want to come on on this? I was just. No, I, you know, and obviously this is stuff that, you know, will have to be discussed depending on the context of the time and, you know, a strategy needs to be planned, but you know, I do think of, and I think some people, depending on the worldview, will be controversial. I think of Vietnam, right? I think of the Taliban, right? This this ragtag group of people that defeated empires with superior technology. You know, and, and these people were vilified as violent and, and backwards, and you know, and and, and all the systems were against them. And yet they found a goddamn way to, to drive the, you know, at a high cost, you know, and, 
And so all I'm saying is that it's worth taking a look at them too, you know, at these people, because I think there are lessons there too. There's a really good book called How Nonviolence Protects This State. Um, and he goes through a bunch of different examples, like including Vietnam, including civil rights. And um, that book like really shifted my mindset when I read it. I think the one thing I would say after this discussion as a person who's had many discussions with Jake about violence and nonviolence and been on, <laughs> been on the violence side, we'll, we'll have to use <laughs> violence if we need, is though I have to say, okay, for me, I think the next steps do feel like exit and the next steps do feel like build. Like my foot is currently trapped in institutional education. Um, and if I, if there's a next step for me within the context of a movement that I want to build, I do think it's about exiting that and building an alternative. So what comes to mind for me is it is about in some ways exit and build and building something that is worth defending. Like if we can build something that we actually feel like is worth defending, then we're getting somewhere. But I think people who are trying to exit and build understand that if it's worth defending, you will have to defend it. Like it's not a question of if or it's not it, anything that's worth building like that is going to be taken on by the institutions. So I don't think our next step is figuring out how to defend it because we have to build it first and we have to begin. We have to learn how to do that. And that probably is more our next step than uh, how to, um, you know, defend yourself or or play offense with violence, if you will. Um, but uh, I do think as we do this, we are going to have to keep in the back of our mind that if we really like what we're doing, that we're going to also have to learn how to how to defend it from people who don't. Does that mean we're starting a school or a homeschooling co-op? Well, I mean, there was discussion of people who are, that discussion is starting in Workers and Students for Choice in the Bay Area. And I think there, I'm, I want to be part of that discussion. I'm not sure how long my employment will last here. And I don't even know how long they'll be able to be free of the vaccine mandates. Because once they aren't, I'm out. Um, and, uh, and I want to find some alternative. And frankly, I think if we're successful here, then Jessica, we'll be telling you about how we did it. And then you might find some folks somewhere along the way, a year later, two years down the line. That's how I think it's going to, it's going to be is like, it's going to be word of mouth. Um, so that's why I think these connections that we're building right now are so important. Um, so that things can, so information we have about what we've been able to do can be spread as quickly as possible. At a certain point. I mean, uh, you know, they spent a lot of time and a lot of money uh, trying to build their uh, their fourth industrial revolution. So, uh, you know, uh, as Orwell says, you know, when basically I'm paraphrasing, but it's to the effect that like when when propaganda fails, right? Like, in other words, when you figure out when you stop obeying and you create that parallel structure, however peaceful it might be, then, right, the, the gloves come off the state, the what what the 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 naked iron fist that was behind the propaganda comes out and, be, and becomes exposed and so um you know barring their their ability to, to co-opt any you know opposing movements i mean you 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 basically can can expect that i mean at some at some point um but you know uh, 
you know, in the, in the meantime, like, like I said, I, you know, I mean, I'm even, you know, I've mentioned this at, at the meetings, like I'm even wary of even framing things as like protests. Like, like I like, like if, if, if I'm functioning in the, at the level of psychological war, which, which is to me the, the brunt of what we are facing at this, at this time, like, uh, you know, that they, 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 as John Lennon said, like they know how to they know how to deal with violence. Like they want they want you to they want to stir you up. They want to get you there because then they can. Um, sorry, dogs barking. Uh, then they then they have justification to do that. So like I mean my and this kind of ties in with what Kenny was saying too. Though like I, I like the idea of just like festivals and like like maybe dances, parties, get-togethers, like where you know you can network and build these communities and parallel structures without any connotation of we're, we're not a, we're not fighting anything we're just doing our own thing right and in the meantime you know like as you, as you mentioned like I, like I think that art and, and you know music and, and play and dance and things like that has to be part of part of that community building not just like politics and, and ideas and, and organizing and stuff because um, you know, something worth defending is human. And that involves, you know, like, you know, not just constantly struggling, right? It means like enjoying this, the simple pleasures of, of relationships. Uh, and that's what will, that's what will we'll, uh, attract youth, so to speak, right? And so, um, you know, I mean, to that extent, you know, like I, I am 99.9% pacifist unless somebody is crossing my bubble, crossing my space, right? But and the other thing you have to also be be careful of in the in the meantime, as you try to get that those community you know organic things moving, is uh, you know uh, provocateurs being inserted in your in your groups who will try to stir the pot right and to, to make things unnecessarily inflammatory in order to right justify preemptive action against you know whatever, whatever kind of movement we, we can get but but you know one way or another i agree that you know what what needs to happen is relationship building right not not uh relationship battling so to speak <laughs> <laughs> and any um uh, kenny or jessica any last thoughts well let's let's wrap up then well first off once again jessica and jake thanks for being here i i i i'm Stopping thinking of you as now you're just co-hosts as well as me and Kenny and Eduardo. So when's Eduardo uh, coming back? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I like being here, but <laughs> do we get him back? He's having too much fun with his grandma. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's saying if you look, check out Facebook, you'll see what's going on with Eduardo. I deleted it. <laughs> I deleted my account. I was like, I'm not going into 2022 with a Facebook account. Not with this pre-crime shit. Oh, that's right. No wonder I haven't seen any of your stuff. So. Yeah, that was your New Year's resolution. You stuck to it. Good for you. Um, anyway, uh, that'll do it for this week's episode. But What's Left is a weekly political podcast slash channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes wherever you found this episode or on our blog. What-s-left.webnode.com You can find past episodes to this podcast channel there and connect with us. Uh, I remind, remind folks, if you like anything you've heard here, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications to any of our eight platforms, or nine platforms now. They're on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, 
BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, Telegram, and I'm putting stuff on Rumble now. Um, so uh, if you like any of that, you can hear some of that stuff there. Um, I, that's it, Jessica, Jake, and Kenny. Thank you very much for uh, today's discussion. Even though some of it was kind of depressing for me, it definitely made it better talking talking about it with y'all. Thanks for having us. All right, see you next week.